Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Stories Are Soul Food. With the reverb and everything. <laughs> We're happy to be back. Many positive feedbacks. Here, here on we are. The best episode ever last week. Do you remember you built it that way? <laughs> oh, right. This is true. I was like, people, was it the best? Oh, yeah. I said it was the best episode ever. People was, said, people agreed with you. And I thought, wow. I. What did we talk about? We talked about advice for boys. Mm. Moms. Boy moms, I should Boy say. Boy moms. That was the best episode ever. That was a pretty good episode. I don't know that I would say it was the best ever, other than I did. Well, yeah, that's that what I mean. <laughs> I didn't claim it was the best ever. <laughs> now yeah. I feel stuck. Apparently, I was I was feeling it. Yeah, um, yeah. So that you, that is kind of a you did say that thing. before the episode, though. So that it was going to be the best ever. Right. Well, that that was a mistake. It was a terrible <laughs> mistake because now what do we what do we say about this one? This is not the best. ever. The new personal best. <laughs> Yeah. Here we are. You are are the new personal best. (laughs) You are a track coach these days, aren't you? Let's get a new PR, new personal record for podcasting. Yeah. Uh, Let's make this one magnificent. What are we talking about today? Why do you coach, Nate? Why do I coach? (laughs) Uh, I do coach. For those of you who don't know, I coach. I coach things. I like to coach things. I feel like coaching things matters a lot more than teaching things. Mm. So... Okay. That's why. Interesting. I've taught things a lot, but I've done a lot of teaching in my life. Yet coaching, I think, sticks with kids more than information ever will. You know, I'm hoping you're right, because here I am coaching little kid rugby, trying to coach. That's a mistake. And that's a mistake. You should only coach the things I coach. Yeah, the, only coach I'm, the things I'm that have the potential. I'm a track coach. Okay. I've been uh, a basketball coach. Last year, I was an informal track coach. This year, I'm a formal track coach. Oh, wow. With a tie and everything? No. No. I'm very informal in my apparel. Oh, okay. <laughs> it basically, I, I've also, some people might say that I'm a, I'm a track coach so that I can wear sweats all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I live in sweats at this point, and it's fantastic. It's also great for writing. So okay, so you roll from writing to track. Yeah, and, it's, and, and I will. True confessions on a podcast. <laughs> We've had some meetings where you know they're meetings I would have meetings that matter, meetings that I would have maybe dressed slightly better for, but I wore a zip hoodie and sweats too, you know. And then I get to start the meeting by saying, "Sorry, I've got track practice right after this." Um, and it would not, I do. have to be wearing sweatpants right. for this meeting. <laughs> right. It's required that I be wearing sweatpants. I couldn't possibly tell kids what to run while wearing nicer pants. Right. I need to be telling kids what to run while wearing sweatpants. Totally. So I'm a big fan of that at least. Well, are you, I mean, here's the real question. Are you the Bill Belichick sleeves off hoodie guy? You know, no, the sleeveless hoodie I need to get there. I've got, I've got really long arms. So that would be a great solution for me with most hoodies <laughs> because most hoodies just don't fit. Um, but but if in, I started going sleeveless hoodies, that would be a real, a real fixer. In reality though, the criticism of teachers, if you can't do teach, yeah, is, is seems to be a real one as a teacher that you have to be aware of. Like yeah. you don't want to be someone who has failed at other 
So you're supposedly passing on your expertise. Right. And this goes, can't with, do. this happens with writing, especially when people are giving, if you buy books on how to write a novel, it's very rare that you're, you're buying a book from uh, somebody who's written magnificent novels. If you, one of the best books on screenwriting that there is, is Save the Cat in, and Blake, Blake Snyder didn't Blake Snyder. exactly write magnificent screenplays, but he did successfully deconstruct the structure of a successful screenplay and Save the Cat is a really, really helpful book for anybody trying to learn to write a movie. Save the Cat's where you should start. That's the book. And it's funny that it came from a guy who never quite, I mean, he was, he sold things, but he, yeah. he's not like a legendary Oscar winning screenwriter. Those guys don't bother telling you anything. They're just doing their thing. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's like they're not obsessed with trying to figure out how to do it. They already know. Mm -hmm. um, they also tend to be slaves to their own ego. They do whatever they want, and then they're anointed as geniuses. <laughs> so yeah, and then other people study which things they did worked and didn't. So people who are trying to break in, or people who are struggling, and there aren't they aren't quite making it. Sometimes I think do make better teachers because they are spending more time actually studying the path. Right. Then they are just arriving and achieving. So I don't know. Does that make sense? I think so. It makes sense to me in my head. I don't know if it makes sense in the well, words. Well, it out. makes sense too because you've said before you've actually spent significant time thinking about is a critic the same thing as an author? Right. Yeah. And they're not. And they're really not. They're not. Like the H.L. Mankins are not the P.G. Woodhouses. No, they're not. And so I've, you know, I I think that when I wrote my first two novels, I was not thinking at all about what uh, made a novel good or what worked. You know, I was, I was, um, I was definitely playing by ear more mm -hmm. with those first two. And then I started, you know, I, I learned, you know, I, I learned where the inefficiencies were and I improved my process and so on. But it was the thing that made me, I think able to help people learn how to write was the fact that I was simultaneously teaching rhetoric and doing, you know, constant analysis on communication and effective, yeah. effective writing in other forms. Right. While I was also myself writing novels, I wasn't in a self-referential way looking at my own novel writing, wondering what made it work or not work. I was yeah. actually just involved in the formal study of, rhetoric at a collegiate level and trying yeah. to communicate it and grading and instructing. Well, I mean, that was hugely helpful forever. for me when I was your grader, yeah. because as an editor, it sometimes took me so long to get a handle. And when you're grading 60 papers, you don't get so long to get a handle. You have to develop that skill yeah. of read, analyze, yep. you know, the rhetorical situation and then find out what's wrong with go, it and go, move on go, to the next go. one. Gotta yeah. be, you got to be quick. You got to be good. And you are far, it's very athletic actually. In that you have to be able to look at somebody's shot, look at somebody's swing, look at some, somebody's stride. Coaching. And here. just yeah. tell them what's wrong with your stride. Yeah. Like I can see it and see and say. And that's also one of the yeah. one of the things I talk about with writing a lot is you have to be able to see and say. You have to have the powers of observation and you have to be able to put your observation into words that can communicate. And that forget uh, writing a novel. That just goes for any number of things. Observe report, see and see and say. So uh, doing that at New St. Andrews College for so long and analyzing writing for so long and analyzing the 
various greats and ancients who were talking about what made communication effective or not for a very long time. And then forming my own opinions about what made it effective or not. Uh, and then while at the same time writing novels that sold differently, different amounts, you know, writing a novel that sells a million copies versus a novel that sells a hundred thousand copies. And you're like, Hmm. Yeah. What, what's the difference? And 900,000, the difference. Yeah. <laughs> studying the marketplace, um, studying the marketplace and fig figuring, figuring out marketing and public relations and placement and the whole thing. And also the resonance of an individual book, story, character, setting, you know, these different things. Yeah. And so breaking that down with shows too now is something I'm involved in. Like what makes a show work? What makes a show work across demographics and so on? So I think that there is some truth to those who can't do teach. And I think that. I'm saying it, that, that as a teacher well, too. I'm saying that yeah, as a teacher. Yeah. When, that, <laughs> when that works well, it's because those who can't do are currently trying to do. And they're currently, right. basically their current student, they're currently students leading the way. They're the lead student and a lead student who's just a little further ahead can teach and guide very effectively uh, in a way that somebody who arrived a long time ago sometimes can't. So, yeah. so not quite blind leading the blind. We're talking about people who are, you know, yeah. oh, here's what I did to get my shot working. No, some, or, so, yeah, exactly. But somebody who's, who's half a mile ahead, somebody who's a mile ahead right. hel helping people along the way. Can, they can remember the curves and the bumps and the obstacles a little more clearly than somebody who's been sitting at the destination for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, and just is just able to do it. And they don't think about what it's like to not be able to do it. <laughs> they, right. They don't know what it's like to not be able to just effectively just describe a, a physical space. Yeah. You know, I had, uh, I was going through a manuscript, I was just going through a manuscript and, and doing writing this last week. And hitting different, you know, parts where you have editorial notes or you have things where it's like, man, this is um, no comprehension of space. Like when you you read some some writer who can't cannot simultaneously communicate character, action, and space, mm. and it's like there's it's there's just kind of disembodied folks doing things. Yeah, it's just it's an action. Right. But it's an action that doesn't reveal character or, you know, in some tiny way, slight way, um, but doesn't reveal anything about the character. It's just a straight up action. And that doesn't, they're running through an abstract painting. They're not running through uh, a concrete space, a real space. And it's, it's really tough because the, the more deft veteran writers can just do all of those things at once. And they don't have to think about it. I think like, part of the problem too is when you read a lot of published books, you get this idea that it's sort of effortless. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're just reading it and, and you're like, oh yeah, I just tell the tell yeah. the story. Yep. And then when you start writing it, you do realize, wow, I just had 10 short action sentences packed together into yep. one. I read one manuscript like that recently. There's no breathing. There's no, there's no moments of reflection. There's no, or there's only moments of reflection. Right. There's um, no actual movement. There are some writers, they don't know how to write action. So there's people contemplating what's about to happen. And there's people contemplating what just happened. And they are always just skipping the battle scene. You know, it's like, this, yeah, because I can't write that. So I'm going to just hop around. Um, 
but we had a question that came in about writing advice, which is sort of what we've yeah, yeah. into. Um, and so the people who are trying to tackle a novel and I've said this before, so forgive me. Um, step one, are you going to let me read the question first or are you just giving the preemptive okay, go, advice? Let's, go ahead. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the, how closely I'm going to stick to the question, but go ahead. Read, read the question we're given and then I'll answer the question yeah. I have in my head. Okay. Sounds good. Ben, here you go. My novel drafts keep coming out too short. I just finished a first draft of a novel. I plan to be 80K, but the first draft's only 30K and this is a pattern. Mm, and it's a bad pattern. Yeah. That's an, uh, an unacceptable pattern, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you planned 80k because that's how long an MG novel has to be. I'm curious. I'm curious what that plan looked like. I planned 80k as in I personally resolved to write 80,000. I think words, that's what it was. I know I my genre. Plan. My genre is 80k, so I have yeah. to have 80k. <laughs> so if you said I I planned 24, you know I I planned 24 chapters. And I had a plan for each chapter, and each chapter was going to be three thousand and change. Right. Uh, that's like, a plan. That's a plan. Yeah. As opposed to a personal resolution to hold my breath for three minutes <laughs> while I was writing, um, which is which is what just saying I'm going to write for eighty thousand words is. I think make a better plan would be a big. <laughs> it would be a big. <laughs> that's like, coaching, folks. That's yeah, coaching. Let's right make there. a real plan. So now let's assume that you made a real plan and you actually had mapped out you know, all these chapters, which incidentally, um, for those of you who are familiar with my own process, uh, you know that I don't do that. So I don't plan all, all those chapters. I plan five beats to a novel. I have a beginning, a middle and an end. And then I have the, the middle of the beginning and the middle of the end when I tackle that first draft. But then I do that for each individual chapter as well. So, I so we're five-point story structure. I have a five-point story structure for the novel. And then I do a three to five-point story structure for each chapter before I write it and for each chapter after I've written it. Oh, so do you edit that one or you go back and look at what actually happened? So this is like Ashton Burial style when I'm doing something fat. So yeah. this, is a, this is a fat book approach. Um, I know what the book is going to accomplish. Right. Like this book... This is the beginning, this is the middle, this is the end. This is the middle of the beginning, middle of the end. Um, then I say chapter one. Where's chapter one going to start? Where's it going to end? What's the middle? And three points. And then I'll add that middle of the beginning, middle of the end beat. And I'll just write, you know, I'll fill that in. Like I'm going to, like, it's going to be here, here, here. And it's literally five bullet points. This is not, you know, really all in fleshed. Mm -hmm. Then I write the chapter and then I look at what the chapter actually did and I'll write the outline of the chapter that is next to the outline, the five bullet points that are next to the five bullet points that were resolved. Right. And so I can see both at the same time. Right. It was dark. They were big. <laughs> yeah. There's the, there's the thing I thought I was going to do. Here's the thing I did. And then I assess whether it was an improvement like, because I made a decision, I, I found new information, I discovered I should do something else. Or if I'm already getting off track. Mm -hmm. Like, did I did I more effectively hit the target that I was actually aim, aiming at uh, with the first five bullets? Or did, do I need to go back in and actually, like, adjust? And so then I'll move to chapter two. 
and I'll do the same thing. Three beats. Like, okay, here's the three beats. I'll write them down and then I'll write the chapter and then I'll write down the beats that happened. Um, on the side, I'll also add things like physical injuries or details of props where it's like, if you wound a character, I'll write, you know, it's like bruised left knee page 34 and circle it in the margin, you know, mm. because I want to be able to just know what I did. So they have to keep limping. I have to track that now is mm -hmm. now it has to be tracked throughout the rest of the manuscript. Um, and you find yourself realizing as you add those physical details, a lot of times you just did it because you were bored in the moment or you thought it'd be dramatic and you realize that's actually a really dumb decision. Because there's a consequence. You're yeah, there's a consequence now. This is going to push yeah. through the whole manuscript. So you know what? Nope. I go back Turns in there and I'm going to unbruise this <laughs> knee. This knee is a little bit more fine than it was a second ago because I need this kid running the rest of this story. I can't be tracking a limp. And I also need him. I need him to be speedy. To be speedy. So I love to injure my characters. I love to keep them in physical pain uh, because it helps readers connect and, and keep tracking sensation. But at the same time, you can't do it so dramatically that they now are incapacitated or useless. Um, and I'll kind of march through. So by the time I'm done, 25, 24, 26, depends how many chapters. And I have these, I'll have sheets and sheets of these outlines mm -hmm. and I'll have them taped to my wall. And I can sit there at my desk and I can see the entire novel and I can see it more thoroughly outlined than I ever would have ever outlined it. At the beginning. At the beginning. Right. And then I can see the outline of what my intention was and the outline of what is mm. both tracked and annotated. Very so, nice. Okay. Because I worked my way through and now I've got a, I've got a finished draft. Now, if you do this, if you are, if you actually have a novel length idea and you set out to do this, you're going to, you're going to discover where you went astray. His name's Ben, right? You asked mm. this question. Yeah. You're going to discover where you went astray, Ben, very, very quickly because chapter one, here's my three beats and you wrote one beat mm. like, Oh, or I wrote, you know, or your chapter idea was just your one, chapter idea is tiny. Was one beat. Yeah. Yeah. So now this is, this completely ignores the intro to novel writing stuff that is also really important. And so, which means the, the understanding of overall structure of a novel and I can, at this, yeah. at this point, I can build novel structure in my sleep because I'm not trying to be uh, some revolutionary architect. I'm not trying to do anything unique and wildly creative in my structures. And so I'm just, I'm just trying to build a colonial farmhouse. You know, I'm not trying to do something right. that's Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah. one with the mountain nonsense. Um, and there's times, there's times for that, but I'm not, uh, I'm not doing that at all. So I will highly recommend that you get, as, as I recommend to every writer, that you get really, really good at writing uh, bricks, that you be able to do small, perfect scenes. Like small, perfect scenes are everything. Right. Forget adverbs, throw away your adverbs, especially in any kind of attribution and dialogue. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> um, throw them away and write small, perfect scenes. So can you make a brick? Can you make a perfect brick? Uh, and what I mean by that is, can you capture a moment in time with words? 
Can you actually sit down on the curb and watch a thing happen? Can you watch five minutes happen anywhere in the world and then capture that in prose and give it to people and make them feel like they experienced something which they did not in fact experience? Yeah, that's the key. It's not that you reread your writing and you relive the scene. It's that someone who wasn't there. Can you vicariously gift and transfer experience so that you can imprint in people's memories, viscera, experience that they did not actually have? And that goes back to what you said at the beginning about seeing and saying, right? Yeah. The experience, the the, uh, scene, what was really going on, and then being able to say it. This, This is a perfect opportunity for me to plug. The School of Fantastical Wordcraft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great, videos, great video course from... A uh, little video course I did for a bunch of people who are asking me writing questions. I think there's nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine different lessons. School of Fantastical Wordcraft. From brick building to genre yeah. to everything in between. Yeah, so I talk about a lot. And actually, if you go through those videos and you still have questions, hit us up and we can talk about them here. But that School of Fantastical Wordcraft is going up on the Canon app, right? Yeah, Canon Plus. Find it. So mycanonplus.com. All of those, <laughs> all of those videos will be in the Canon app, um, and uh, yeah, they're available in the Canon app. Utilize them, and in one of them, I'll cover this concept of brick building, which is brick making, which is if you can capture a scene and you can give it to somebody else and then they can feel it and own it and possess it and have and remember it recall it like a memory um and they were never there as soon as you can do that that means you can you can now write a novel you made one brick now as soon as you made a perfect brick can you do that a million times like no can you do it 100,000 times yeah it's like is your is your brick 500 words long can you do 500 word bricks can you do a thousand word bricks like are you right around 300 words is a good brick for you like so okay that means you're going to need nine you know nine in a short chapter like you're going to need nine really clean scenes in a chapter and those nine bricks in a chapter you're going to need to do that 24 25 times to get to that 75 to eighty thousand word novel yeah um you know you just you just start like okay started. that's where you get to the fun part too because you then know oh my book is collapsing the scaffolding can't hold up my bricks or that and that's where all the the stuff you were saying earlier about the three beats yeah yeah you know as soon as you know your brick making is perfect then you can focus on structure and like are you building the right building is it a bad idea is the genre wrong yeah there's no flaws in your prose you're not worried about oh a lot of short novels, a lot of manuscripts that come in short, come in short because people start writing ideas. They start writing the idea for a scene. They start writing the ideas for action instead of writing the action. Instead of capturing the moment, they then summarize the moment. And everything reduces and reduces and they hand they hand off an idea for, Chesterton did this. Most of Chesterton's novels are ideas for novels. Oh yeah. They're not novels. He sometimes starts them and they're novels and then he's bored and he wants to move on. And so he finishes them as ideas. And so you start by reading the novel and then you end by reading the rest, the idea for the rest. And then he moves on. You thinking of Man Who Was Thursday and Man Alive? Man Man Who Was Thursday is actually, I think is his strongest. When he writes short stuff, it's actually, it's really fun. Mm. I'm thinking like Napoleon and Notting Hill and and other places. Haven't read, I'm afraid. But um, he gets into that idea idea mode pretty quickly and he does he does 
to be fair, totally devolve into idea right at the end of Manuma's Thursday. But for ninety uh, percent of it, it's a novel. <laughs> it's a good effort for him. Yeah, it's and it's one of my favorites of his. But it's um. Here's a question: Have you ever bricks? Oh, go get for it. perfect at bricks. Okay, now ask your question. Have you ever had realized that your plot is too simple, and that you've needed to add some? Or you know, have you gone in and then said, "Okay, I need to kind of curly cue some of these resolutions, add some extra tweaks into this," or does or um, is that kind of unnatural when you're heading into a story arc? Have you thought to yourself, "I need to be more devious"? <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're writing a, a a novel, your novel can, like I said, it can be a, just a colonial farmhouse. It doesn't have to be sophisticated. Mm. And the question is, is your colonial farmhouse a two-bedroom, one-bath? Is your colonial farmhouse a four-bedroom, three-bath? Mm-hmm. Like They are shaped pretty similarly. They just get bigger or smaller. Yeah. And so the actual shape of of a plot shouldn't get all curly-cued. Gotcha. Um, I don't think. So when you start doing a twist and a twist and a twist, everybody's bored. Stop it. Yeah. You know. Ben is... Ben- is asking how do I expand the story to hit the 80k mark without just unnecessarily bloating the text? And I want to say I don't think you can if you have 30k words, unless it's just a plot treatment that you're now going to turn into a real novel. I think that you're in a place where you need to, uh, yeah, exactly. It's either a plot treatment or you need to start over, or just start at the beginning and you're going to rewrite every single chapter and you're going to be expanding into actual bricks. Mm-hmm. you like these are becoming actual bricks not ideas these are becoming mm. scenes of true experience real experience and fleshed and the whole thing is going to expand and it's all going to expand uh kind of in an equ- equivalent way um now it's possible you write your first chapter pretty well and then you get all rushed and excited and story gripped and so you whip out the rest of the ideas and you basically wrote a really detailed treatment on top of an opening chapter. I've seen that done often. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you focus on writing real scenes, concrete scenes to the five senses that exist in space and time. So settings are captured. The passage of time is captured. Physical sensation is captured. Characters are successfully captured. And you can practice that in outside of plot, outside of any kind of purpose or character arc just like a photographer sitting on a curb trying to capture moments just can i can i see a moment and then capture it with words or can i not if you can't then start there there's no point in even worrying about the structure of your novel you have to start with the brick if you can't make a brick there's no prayer of making a cathedral like you got to be able to make millions of these things to make a cathedral so the nice thing about being able to make a perfect brick is now you know you can build whatever you want. It just has to do with patience. You just have to patiently and patiently build and patiently follow a blueprint. Mm-hmm. Then and you can build because you know you can repeatedly capture scenes as soon as you can capture a scene. So go down to your street corner, go down to a coffee shop, go anywhere where people are existing and watch a scene happen and then try to capture it and watch another scene and try to capture it. And then have somebody read it who wasn't there like, and see if the, and actually beforehand decide what mood, what tone you're trying to, you're trying to have that brick have what, what makes it true and honest or what makes it false and a failure. Like so you need it to be falsifiable. You need it to be measurably a failure. 
uh, then give it to somebody else. And then when they read it, don't ask them what they think. Like try to see if they get a grasp of the of the moment. Do they feel it? Do they do they get that experience? Mm. Have you actually transferred the experience or not? And if you can't do that, start there. And if you can do that, it's like, well, then you got to focus on structure and on getting good blueprints for your novel and on being patient and following your outline as you work you work your way through. So, and if you're already good at brick making and you have a good blueprint, you know you're following a good plot. The most likely problem is that you're getting in yourself into a rush and you're not doing what I described at the beginning of actually trying to like pace your chapters. You're only looking at the macro vision and you're not doing any micro outlining along the way. So there we um, go. There we go. And if you want more details and more on writing, School of Fantastical Wordcraft. Great title. Videos that we had out there for a while, a while back, and then we the DVDs ran out or something, and we didn't remake them. And so now we're just putting it in the Canon app. So those videos will be on Canon Plus. My Go Canon view Plus. Them. MyCanonPlus.com My... for the low, low price. Oh, Brian's selling now. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're in the Canon app, Canon Press app. Uh, they're great for writing, writers of any age, honestly. They so are. younger they're, kids, they're get, younger kids love them, but they'll get a little less out of it. Uh, veteran writers, I've actually heard from quite a few veteran writers about them, so they're they're fun conversation pieces there too. That's great. Peace out. Hi, it's Brian Cole here, wanting to let you know how you can support the Stories Our Soul Food podcast. You can do that by checking out Canon Plus. Head over to mycanonplus.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the SASF podcast. We'll hopefully be seeing you at mycanonplus.com. Mm-hmm.